Second, Second Corinthians six eleven. <clears throat> o Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God and it's blessed. We're going to receive it and be nourished by it today. Holy Spirit, again, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening and cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, I thank you that they're going to walk away with exactly what they need. Only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's uh, hop into this here. And so, verse 11 says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. And so in this section of scripture, we're going to see that the Corinthians had, uh, had a time where they had an issue with the Apostle Paul. Paul brought strong correction to them in 1 Corinthians. If you ever read 1 Corinthians, that was not a good day when that letter was written in church. When they wrote that let, read that letter to the Corinthians, he had corrected them on many things. And so there were many problems in the church. And so uh, many of them did not receive it well. And so uh, sometimes uh, people don't receive correction very well. And so the level of your maturity is seen in how you handle correction. And so they didn't handle correction very well. And so as children who had been corrected, they're pouting. And they've shut Paul off and they don't want to listen to Paul. And so uh, just because your children uh, are a little angry that you correct them, should you, should you go ahead and do it? Yeah. Is it for their benefit? Yeah. yeah. So Paul, out of love, corrected them. And say, God God will correct us. Did you know that? God, God will discipline us, but he does it through his word. He's not going to do it through sickness, disease, or anything bad. He's going to do it through his word. And he corrects us because he loves us. And so sign of maturity is how do we handle correction? And so that's from the Lord, and that's from our leaders. And so, O, o Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. And so Paul said, we spoke openly to you. Paul did not try to hide anything. He was open and upfront with them in all things. But then false teachers had come in and were telling the Corinthians lies about Paul. And so let me tell you something, that when you get offended, you, get, you, you become open to lies. You open yourself up to lies when you get offended. And so they had become offended, and so they had an environment that was available for false teachers and those that would come in and lie that created an environment for them to be open to it. Do you know if there's not an environment for something, then, then nothing can take place. And so, so uh, an environment for deception in your life is when you get offended and hurt. We're going to talk more about that as we go. And so Paul says, we spoke openly to you. Our heart is wide open. And so Paul kept his heart wide open. 
And so obviously the Corinthians had hurt, hurt Paul by their reaction and shut him out. And that's hurtful. Because well, raise your hand if you're called to the ministry. Okay, welcome to being hurt. In ministry, you need to have the heart of a lamb and the skin of a crocodile. <laughs> or you're not going to make it very far. And so the people that you try to help, some of the people you try to help the most end up just walking off. And you're like, yeah, but... I... Or they don't understand you, or they speak against you. And so this happened, and they shut Paul out. And Paul's the one that started this church. They owned their own salvation to Paul coming in and preaching the gospel. And they basically gave him the cold shoulder. So Paul, no doubt, would have been hurt by the Corinthians, but he kept his heart open. What do you do when you get hurt? Well, the tendency of a lot of people is to close their heart. Close their heart. No, keep your heart wide open because guess what? Well, bless God, I'm going to keep my heart closed so no bad can get in. No one will ever hurt me again. Well, there's a problem with that. Yeah, you may keep some hurt out, but you keep the good out too. If you close your heart, you're, you're shutting yourself off from all the good things that God wants to put in your heart. And so often we take the keys and we lock up our heart and we say, no one's ever going to get in here again. But the problem is you're, you're keeping the good out. Now, the problem is, is that you need to let the Lord be the protector of your heart. So let open the gate. Now be wise on who you let in. You don't just trust anyway. Trust is earned. But you need to keep your heart open. And, and when you do that, that's risky business. Because you, you may get hurt. But I noticed that if I keep my heart open and I let the Lord be the defender of my heart, he's the healer of my heart. That if I get hurt, immediately if I turn it to the Lord... He heals it. There's been times where I've been hurt by somebody and it was like an open hole in my chest. But then I, but I, but I said, God, I'm hurting. And I was honest with the Lord. Be honest, you've been hurt. And say, Lord, that hurt. And I said, Lord, that hurts. Please help me. And I don't know, all of a sudden, it just went away. I'm like, I had a hole here a second ago. But now I'm whole. So, so you need to be honest with the Lord, but you need to, you, you're not going to make it very well if you keep your heart closed because you're keeping all the good out. And so a closed heart, again, is not a receptive heart. And so because Paul opened up his heart, the Corinthians were in his heart. Look at verse 12. You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Now, that's kind of an awkward way of saying that. So look at, uh, I, I'm, I don't think we have this translation. The God's Word translation translates this. Let me read that verse again. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. God's Word says, we haven't cut you off. Your own emotions have cut you off from us. Let me say that again. We haven't cut you off. Your own emotions have cut you off from us. Many think God has cut them off, but actually they have cut themselves off from God. Look at Colossians 1.21. This speaks of the world out there. They think God's mad at them and God's cut them off. But the truth is, God loves them. And they're cutting themselves off. Look at Colossians 1, look at verse 21. 
And you, who were once were alienated and enemies in your mind. Say enemies, enemies. In, your mind. in your mind. Enemies, enemies. In, my mind. in my mind. They created God as an enemy. But God never was an enemy. That's why he sent Jesus to die. Yet now he's reconciled. The lack of affection between Paul and the Corinthians was totally on the part of the Corinthians because of their own pride got hurt when they were corrected. They shut Paul off and began to listen to lies. When we get hurt, we start listening to the lies of the enemy. Paul had previously corrected them strongly in 1 Corinthians. They didn't like being corrected. Raise your hand if you love being corrected. Oh, I love it. Let me give you a hundred bucks right here. But you know, in a way, you need to learn to love correction because how are you ever going to grow? How are we ever going to get better if you, don't, if you never change the, the weird stuff you're doing? Tell someone you may have some weird stuff you need to stop. You know what a good friend is? A good friend will tell you the truth. In love. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Again, when your feelings are hurt, you're open to hear lies from the enemy. So guard your heart when you're hurt. Some people are always being hurt because they're so sensitive. Let me say that again. Some people are always being hurt because they're so sensitive. Why? Because they haven't learned to separate their who from their do. And when something they've done, God's correcting them, or, or a friend or a leader's trying to correct that, we can't separate our identity from that. And so when that gets hit, our, we take it personally as our identity. Tell someone, separate your who from your do. If not, you'll get into do-do. And that just comes to maturing in the love of God, the grace of God. You can separate your who from your do. And then correction is much more easier to do. It's like, oh, well, that was something I did wrong. I can easily, because that's not my identity. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, fully loved, fully accepted. And so I can accept something that I did and actually get better with it and actually learn to actually say, thank you, that's great, and I'm not devastated. So many people are devastated when they're corrected because they take it as their identity. They're saying, I'm flawed in the core of my being, and that's not true. The core of your being, if you're saved, you're, you're perfectly righteous and holy in your core of your being. Verse 13. Now in return for the same, I speak to children, you also be open. 
Well, that's kind of an awkward saying. So God's word translation of this verse says, I'm talking to you as I would talk to children. Treat us the same way we treated you. Make a place for us in your hearts. They had shut Paul out. They were acting like children that got corrected. They're pouting, and they shut off. You know, you ever discipline your child, and the child goes, I hate you. Well, good. You sit there and hate, and when you're hungry, <laughs> there's no stories. None. Paul is speaking as a parent to his beloved children. He said, you also be open. We're open, you be open. Only when two hearts are open simultaneously can true, powerful heart exchange be made between them. As immature children, they're pouting because Paul had bring, brought correction to them. Don't despise correction. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, look at verse 11. Proverbs 3, look at verse 11. My son, do not despise the chastening or the correction of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Why would he need to say that? Because we have a tendency to despise and hate correction. Because it's touched self. Proverbs 12, look at verse 1. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. I'm just reading Holy Scripture today. <laughs> Tell someone, don't be stupid. <laughs> separate, and I'll tell you how it's going to be. You've got to separate your who from the do. When I was in the phone center, uh, I would take calls. And, and so that was one of the toughest jobs I, I ever had because I'm not a phone talker much I don't really like being on and then it's like speed counseling where you listen to people's problems all day long I'm compassionate but not that compassionate <laughs> and so I had some interesting calls did I ever tell you about my call the lady want me to raise her dead bird peachy from the dead <laughs> raise your hand if you've heard the peachy story raise your hand if you haven't heard the peachy story okay you need to hear the peachy story so this lady calls up and says, I want you to raise my dead parakeet, Peachy, from the dead. I said, great. And so she told me the story that it started the night before. She called in, wanting Peachy raised from the dead. And the phone center said, where is Peachy right now? She's buried in the backyard. <laughs> well, she said, well, if she, if she comes to life under the ground, she's going to die again because she can't breathe. <laughs> so you need to go dig her up. 
So she went out and started digging around the backyard, could not find Peachy, thought the miracle had happened. She finally did find Peachy, and now I'm on the phone the next night with freshly excavated Peachy. And she says, I want you to raise Peachy from the dead. And then she put pressure on me. I have to do she said, You gotta do this quick. My husband's coming home and he doesn't believe in this. I almost said, I don't believe in this. I couldn't say that. Jeremy would get on to me. I couldn't say that. And so you had to have a quote of scripture and release your face. So I quoted a scripture, can't remember what that was. And I said, Peachy live in Jesus' name. And click, she hangs up. So I don't know if Peachy came alive or the husband came home. <laughs> but I marked down in the notes, Peachy lives. <clears throat> but I was in the phone center. And so every time I would have, I'd have the m and I don't know if they have that, monitoring, mentoring and monitoring, monitoring. And so they would have someone go over some calls they they recorded and they kind of went over it. And every time I would get, I had a guy named Ken, and he'd sit down and every time he'd say, "Now, Rick, what we're going to do here is we're going to evaluate a phone call. We're going to evaluate the task you did on the phone with us. We're not evaluating you as a person. We're not judging you as a person. We're judging a phone call you made and how you can improve." That made it so much easier I realized, okay, I, I need to learn to separate my who from my do. And then it was much easier. It was like, okay, yeah, I could have done that different. I shouldn't have told her she was stupid. <laughs> Although it's, it's scripture. <laughs> Some of us in this room need to come up higher in the area of receiving correction. Number, uh, uh, verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is a clear reference to the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy 22, look at verse 10. Talking about yoked, and the oxen were yoked in the Old Testament. And so he speaks about don't be unequally yoked. And we're going to see an unequally yoked situation that God commanded this not take place in Deuteronomy 22, look at verse 10. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. The ox was a clean animal, the donkey was an unclean animal. And their step and pull are unequal. Tell someone next to you, don't be yoked up with a donkey. I could use the other name for a donkey, but we're sticking with donkey. Don't be yoked up with a donkey. We should be joined to believers in marriage, work, and ministry. Amen. But what's the definition of a believer? 
well, this person's so nice and so so kind, and they're, they're, they have, they're, they seem to be such a wonderful person that that surely they're a believer. Let me say this to you: a believer is not just seen in their character, but in what they believe. It's all in the name believer. See, because there's some really nice unbelievers, nicer than some of. Christians that are not in this room. Because you're all nice. There's some really nice believers, just naturally kind and sweet, and but it's been but it's but it's from the flesh and it's honey. Do you know in the offerings of the Lord, honey was never allowed in any offering? That speaks of natural kindness, natural goodness. See, I, I have a problem when people have too much honey. That they're giving out to me. Because stingers are near. Because I've noticed those people that, the people that are heavy in the honey and so sweet, they can turn on you in a second and get mean. A believer is determined not only by their character, but what they believe. If someone does not believe in the virgin birth, the full divinity and humanity of Christ, the substitutionary atonement for sin on the cross, the resurrection of Jesus physically from the dead, and salvations by grace through faith, they are not a believer. I don't care how nice they are. I had a lady that years back wanted me and Joanne to marry her and her fiance. And so he want, she wanted us to meet him. We had not met him. He was not a member of the church. And so we went over to the house. And we just got to talking to them how they met and then started asking questions about him. And I could tell by what he was saying and how he was saying it, this guy is not saved. And so I asked the question about the fundamentals. Do you believe Jesus Christ was God? No, he was a great man, but he's not God. Do you believe he was raised from the dead physically? No, well, maybe in some kind of symbolic way, but no, physically, no. I don't believe he was raised from the dead. And so we had, I had to basically tell them, I can't marry you. And then I told her, he is not a believer. Oh, yes, he is a believer. He's so, he's so nice. He's the, one of the nicest guys I ever met. And he's so kind. He has fruit in his life. And so I know that he's saved. I know he's going to have. So, well, I just asked him what he believes. And he doesn't believe what he needs to believe to, in order to be saved. Well, she went ahead and said, I'll find someone else. Thank you. I understand. Well, you can't do that. And she went ahead and did it. Haven't heard from her. It's clear instruction that the believer should separate themselves from intimacy. Say intimacy. Now, you're in the world. You're, gonna, you're going to mix and mingle with different people and, and have some form of, of interaction with people, with unbelievers. But I'm talking about being intimate with an unbeliever. So we should separate ourselves from intimacy with unbelievers, iniquity, darkness, and idols. And this refers to the marriage relationship. The closest yoke that you can have is marriage. Closest union you have with someone is marriage. And so, so I'm talking to you, to the single. Raise your hand if you're single. Okay, everybody look around. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that. Now, let me tell you, 
is you need to find out what they believe. I know they smell nice, look nice. He's handsome, she's hot. I know, I know. I understand. And your hormones are really going, kicking in. But you need to find out what do they believe. And then are they bearing fruit? I'm not saying character doesn't matter. They should have character. But what do they believe? For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? So you're the righteousness of God. Unbelievers are lawless. You know, as a believer, you're not called to be lawless. Well, brother, I got free from the Mosaic. I'm so free from the Mosaic law. I can't tell you how free I am from the Mosaic law. Well, but don't get so set free from the law that you become lawless. See, we're set free from the Mosaic law. We're not set free from our lives being governed by higher laws. There's three higher laws that our life is to be governed by as believers. Because if these three laws aren't governing our lives, we're lawless. We're not called to be lawless. There's three spiritual laws that we live as a Christian. The law of faith, the law of love, and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Those laws, we should have, be dominating our Christian walk. So the, spirit, the Romans 3.27, if you're taking notes, is the law of faith. John 13.34 is the law of love. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is Romans 8.2. Romans 3.27, John 13.34, and Romans 8.2. What communion has light... With darkness. Can you have light and dark at the same time? No. Believers are light in the Lord. Matthew 5.14 and Ephesians 5.8, write those down. Those verses talk about believers are light in the Lord. Tell someone you're lit. (laughs) But is there a bushel over your light? Are you covering your light? Well, things are really, really dark. Well, that's good news because the darker it is, the more your light shines. Well, I'm just a little... Well, you can still see that really clear when it's pitch black. Well, I don't get to preach so much on my job. Well, your light, light's heard. Light's not heard, it's seen. Now, yeah, we're to preach the gospel with our words, but we're to live it too. So what communion has light with darkness? An unbeliever is in darkness. And so you're in the light, and they're in the dark. You can see where you're going. They can't. Have you ever tried to go to the bathroom when it's pitch dark? And you stubbed yourself. Or parents, you have kids with Legos. Those don't give. Or you stumble around in darkness. So how, how are you going to live your life when you, you can clearly say where you're going and they're stumbling around and can't find their way? Especially a husband that's in the dark. Now I know you think your husband's in the dark. <laughs> but if they're an unbeliever, they're really in the dark. How can you follow someone that, that's walking in darkness? I'm just working with some ladies here because you'll probably be tempted with some good-looking, fine-talking, great guys 
and they're not believers. Well, I'm a missionary for Jesus. No missionary dating. Because you're going to be a missionary wife. Well, I'll change them. How's that working for anybody? Verse 15. What accord has Christ with Belial? What's a Belial? Belial means worthless. And it was a title for Satan. In the Syriac version, it's translated Satan. So what accord, look at the word accord, it's where we get the English word symphony from. What symphony does Christ and the devil? Well, you're being too black and white. See, that's our problem, is we have trouble seeing right and wrong, white and dark, black and dark, and and truth and untruth and the devil and and we're all, it's all gray. Our sexuality, well, it's fluid. My sex is fluid. Just check your plumbing next time you go to the bathroom. It's not fluid. It has not changed. Will not change. So don't try to change it. People say I'm not political enough right there, so I'm <laughs> or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Unbelievers do not have a portion of the inheritance with the righteous. Look at verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Tell someone, now this is only for believers, if you're a believer, tell, tell someone. You're the temple of God. You're a holy temple of God. Now, some temples are bigger than other temples. I'm not judging. Not here to judge. But you are the temple of the living God. That, that means God dwells within you. If you had a cognizant of God dwells in you and he's, his very presence is with you, it affects where you go, what you watch, what you listen to, and what you hang out with. Because you're bringing God into it. So when a believer has sex before marriage, you're bringing the Lord into that. When you're watching that movie, the Lord is there. Now, I'm not today, hey, I'm not talking to you guys. I'm, I'm talking to your neighbor. <laughs> Me and you's like this. <laughs> Verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Say living God. Living God. He's going to contrast God with idols. Idols were made with, with stone and metal, and they were lifeless. They had no life in them. Well, come on, Pastor. I, I don't bow down to rocks and stone and 
metal, and so I don't have any idols in my life. Do, does our society have idols? Yes. American idols. That's good. That's good. American idols. What are some idols America bows down to? Money. It goes on and on and on and on. It's anything that you turn to instead of God to meet your need. As God has said, say said. There you go. Said. Three times in the next few verses, we're going to say God said, God said, God said. This brings out that God is a speaking, alive God. And he's interested in a relationship with you. Think with idols, you you can't have a relationship with them. It's a false relationship. It promises to meet your need, but it can't communicate and speak with you and have a relationship with you. And so saying or said is mentioned three times, that's for the Trinity. The Trinity, all three of them speaks and wants to have a relationship with you. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. Actually, the Greek says walk in them. God wants to walk in you. I will be their God and they shall be my people. How can two walk together lest they be agreed? Amos 3.3. Amos 3.3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? When you walk, the Lord wants to walk in you. You're his temple. That word temple is the inner part of the temple where God's presence was. That's the Holy of Holies. You are the Holy of Holies for the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to note that Paul contrasts believers being the temple of God and unbelievers are likened to idols. False images, marred images. Believers are recreated in the exact image of Jesus. For you are the temple of the living God. You're that inner sanctuary for the presence of God to dwell in. God is alive. Idols are lifeless. They can't impart life. God is alive and imparts life. As God has said, here we see our God speaks. That is the difference between any other religion in the world is that we have a relationship with our God. Or should. I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Look at verse 17. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says, say says, says. the Lord. Do not touch what's unclean and I will receive you. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 52. Look at verse 11. Isaiah 52, verse 11. Now, this is just a little hint for you in your Bibles. Most of you have it in your Bibles that some verses are in all caps. Why do you think some verses are in all caps? Because God really wants to get it through to you? No, that's a quotation from the Old Testament. So whenever you have a Bible and it has capital letters, that's a quotation from the Old Testament. Go back and read it in context. It'll help you. 
That's a hint for you, Marcus. I'll help you out. All right. So Isaiah 52, look at verse 11. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. This is quoted by Paul, and this is in context, it's talking about Babylon. They had been in captivity, and they're in the land of Babylon, and God's telling them, come out of Babylon. Come out of the land of idols. Come back home. Come back to the presence of God. Come back to the land. Come back into fellowship. Come back to where you should be from the land of captivity that held you captive. Many Christians have departed Father's house and are worshiping in what the world worships and are bound up with what the world is bound up with. Come out and come back to the Father's house. This is what the prodigal son had to do. Remember the prodigal son? He was a son, but he left the father and went up into a far country and then ended up spent all of his money and he's in the pig's pen eating pig slop. And then he came to himself. What am I doing here? There's some today listening online message today from this message that need to say, I need to wake up and say, why am I where I'm at? Why am I involved with what I'm involved in? Because basically you have, you've went after an idol and you need to come back because God loves you. And God wants to speak with you. Well, I'm afraid of what he's going to say. That's what the prodigal son was. He's afraid of what the father. He had a whole speech written out to, to try to placate his dad. And so he just started out, got the first sentence of his speech, and God and goes, I love you. Welcome home. Bring out the robe. Bring out the sandals. Bring out the ring. My son. God wants to have a relationship with you. You're his son and daughter. You're born again. But are you having a relationship with the Lord? He loves you so much. And he wants me to say to some of you, he misses you. Well, if I, if I come back, he'll find out what I've been involved in. <laughs> we used to have a dog that would get in trouble. And he'd run underneath, when we caught he'd run underneath the, the, the table and he'd see his tail kind of like, I said, I see you. God knows. Yeah, but he'll, he'll see that I got, I've gotten addicted into this thing and I can't get free. He knows you can't get free. He, that's, that's why you need him. He loves you and he wants to break that idol off of you. Remember the Old Testament story when the, when the, temple, when the uh, Ark of the Covenant got stolen in battle and they put it in the, in the temple of Dagon and they, and they put, it, put, Dagon, put that right in front of Dagon, that, the, the Ark of the, that's the Ark of his presence, and they put that right in front of their, their idol Dagon and they left it overnight. And what happened to that idol in the presence of God? It bowed down. It fell over and they said, oh, well, What's the chances of that? So they popped it back up and left for another night, came back. What happened the next night? It bowed, but wait a minute. Its head got knocked off and its hands got knocked off. The head speaks of authority. The hand speaks of its power. If you'll bring your idol right into the presence of God and worship him, 
It may not immediately break, but I believe if you'll stay and worship God and bring that presence, because he sees it there, and he knows you're, he's the only one that can break it off of you. If you'll just worship God and, and, and practice the presence, the presence of God will set you free. Amen. Come home. Come home. Says the Lord. Say says. Says, says, says. He, he, he wants to talk with you. He has things to whisper, sweet somethings. I'm serious. He has sweet somethings to whisper to you. Don't touch what is unclean. That's the idols. That's the thing we go to to meet our need. Well, if I don't get my need met, who's going to meet it? God. Because he, he created you to fulfill your needs. I will receive you. Well, I thought I, thought I already was a child. Yes, but it's like the prodigal son. Well, the, well, the father was waiting for him to come home and, and every day. And finally he saw him and he ran and received his son back. That's the way the father is. I'll receive you. And I'm going to be a father to you. That's a protector, a provider. A nourisher, he'll be a father to you. And you'll be a son and daughter to him. And you'll he'll freely, you'll freely be loved and accepted in his presence today. He's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God. I thank you, Father, that you love us very much. And Father, I thank you that today. We have an option to, to return back into fellowship with you. To turn from that, depart out of that place that we're at and let go of that unclean thing and cling to you and let you father us and meet our needs, Father. I thank you for doing that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God together. I just feel strongly that uh, we're to have Marcus and Daniel come up and they're just going to pray and they have a word, I just believe, Marcus is to go first, and then Daniel has the second part of this. And so uh, just pray as you feel it. Hallelujah. Father God, I thank you for this church, and I thank you for this group of people here. And Father God, I thank you for new seasons. Things are changing, Father God, in the name of Jesus. I see like a flame that has died down, and I see the Lord beginning to blow on that flame. And the Lord is saying right now, I'm going to blow on the flame of your gift and of your call by way of remembrance. It's time that you remember the things that I have spoken over you. It's time that you dig out those old prophetic words and those things that have laid dormant that I've spoken over you and allow me to begin to blow on those by way of remembrance and bring them into a flame again, says the Lord. Because I want to impart to you when, by way of remembrance, when I stir up that flame in you and that fire afresh in you, I want to give you a faith that works. A faith that works. Hallelujah. You've seen the blueprint, and it looks good on paper, but it's not working in life. And God says, as I begin to blow on that flame through way of remembrance, I'm going to impart to you my wisdom and give you a faith that works in the name of Jesus. 
and I see, this is a funny vision, I see somebody sitting down, and they sat on a whoopee cushion, and it embarrassed them. And God said, there's some of you that have moved out of position because of an embarrassment, because you were young, because you were new in the faith, and you, and you allowed the, you vacated your seat because of an embarrassment. And the Lord is saying, you're not the same person you were. You are a new person. Now sit in your seat and do not forfeit your authority because of a past embarrassment. Hallelujah. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you are the author as well as the finisher. You're the beginning and the end. You're the alpha and the omega. And I feel like the Lord is saying this morning that it's times and seasons are in his hand. And the Lord has been the author of your times and of your seasons from the very beginning. Times when you were frustrated and didn't know what was happening or why it was happening, the Lord was there in those moments. He was there before you. The table was already prepared, even in the presence of your enemies. And the Lord says this morning, I am the one who is your all in all. I am your source. I am the one who said, I will be in you and never leave you or forsake you. So I hear the Lord saying this morning that even on this Mother's Day, that God is the God of generational connection. He is the God who is bringing the fathers and the sons together, the mothers and the daughters, the families, the generational connections are together by the Spirit of God, not by what you do in the natural, even though he works through you, from the spirit into the natural, but the source is always the spirit of the living God who is within you. So cast your care on me, says the Lord, for I am working on your behalf. I'm the author and the finisher, and I'm the beginning and the end. Father, I bless this congregation this morning in the name of Jesus, and I thank you, Lord God, for the times and seasons are in your hand. It's in you that we live and move and have our being, and we give you all thanks and glory in Jesus' name.